good morning and welcome. I got to tell you, this is, um, this is bigger than we were expecting. This is awesome. And uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Feel free. I'm really excited. So thanks for being part of our patio party. This is, uh, it's going to be a part of a really great day and there's more to come. Um, before we jump into the teaching, just a couple quick announcements for us. It's a really busy season in church life. Lots of things are starting up, um, but we don't want to spend our beautiful time outside going through lots of announcements. So just two. And in addition to that, I want to just encourage you, check your weekly email, check the app for more. But two things I want to make sure are on your radar. Home group signups are open and ongoing right now. If you are not yet part of a home group, we just want to encourage you. That is the heartbeat of Santa Barbara Community Church. And so also, if you are part of a home group and you're looking for your Colossians study guide, we have them available today and in the coming weeks, but you can pick one up today before you leave. They're on a table right over there. Also on a table right over there. The second thing I want to make sure is on your radar. You passed some red boxes on your way in. Today is the last Sunday that we are in person collecting our special offering for the poor. It's something we do twice a year, responding to God's heart for the vulnerable by being generous with the resources he's given us. And this year, this gift is being split between the work of Medical Ambassadors International and the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. And if you want to know more about that, you, again, you can look in the app or you can track down any of our staff. We'd love to tell you more about how your recognition of God's generosity to you flowing out to those around the world who live in material poverty it get, allows us to be a blessing and will further the work of God's kingdom. So those two things, make sure they are on your radar. And let's jump into God's word because we have some exciting stuff we're going to get to in the word and then we have exciting stuff we're going to get to after we spend time in the Word, like the bounce houses that are back there and just waiting. And so I know I stand between the kids and the bounce houses. So let's get this thing going. If you were here last week, you were reminded that Santa Barbara Community Church began in September 1979. And each fall, we spend some intentional time revisiting foundational truths about both the universal church and in specifically this particular church. So last week, Mike reminded us to pursue what we call joyful, faithful life together. We want to be a people who are joyfully faithful, that it is, it is for our good and our joy to find ourselves under the word of God. If you missed his excellent teaching, I want to encourage you to go back and find that. You can find it through our app. You can listen to it on the website, wherever you get your podcasts. You are welcome to listen to that. Today, we are going to give some attention to what it means to be relentlessly relational, relentlessly relational. And so as we did last week, and as we will for the next two Sundays after today, we are going to use an odd little story in the Old Testament book of Haggai to frame our time together. So can you open your Bible to Haggai? It is toward the very end of your Old Testament. It's a very short book, probably just one page. And it's nestled between the two Zs. It's nestled between Zechariah and Zephaniah. So if you look for the Zs, you'll probably find Hag Well, you should find Haggai right in the middle. If you don't, let's talk about the Bible you brought with you. But <laughs> last week, Mike invited us into the Wayback Machine, and he reminded us of a little bit of life in 1979. But he also did a little tour of the ancient Near East. So some of this may sound familiar, but in case you missed that, the Persian king, Darius, had issued a a decree, an order that the Jewish people who had lived in exile in Babylon for 70 years, they, those who remained were now free to return to Jerusalem if they wanted to. 
Now many did. They returned to Jerusalem, their ancestral home, in order to rebuild their homes and their lives. And Haggai tells us that before long, their homes looked HGTV worthy, but the temple, which was the center of their worship life prior to the exile, it remained unrestored. And God noticed. And so in Haggai 1, verse 3, for example, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And then jump down to verse seven. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And so the people, led by the governor, Zerubbabel, and the high priest, Joshua, they responded with tender hearts, the text tells us, and they began the work. But it didn't take long to notice that the new digs weren't quite like the old digs. And so would you look at Haggai 2, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So this new temple, it just didn't pop like the old one did. And the older Israelites who remembered life in Jerusalem prior to the exile, there wouldn't have been many of them, but they found themselves sitting around singing Springsteen anthems. Glory days, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, they'll pass you by glory days, right? Okay. Kids, later, ask your parents who Bruce Springsteen is. You'll hear about their glory days. It'll be fun for you. So I think this verse, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? This might be a decent parallel for the state of the church in America in 2023. So if you're measuring by the ABCs of church growth, that would be attendance, buildings, and cash, the future of the American local church doesn't always look particularly bright. Right? There was a time not long ago when the church in America appeared stronger and shinier than it does today. A time of mega churches and stadium events filled with Christian speakers and Christian musicians. The time when the church and her people were perceived as trusted partners and even leaders in the public square. But from where we stand today, if we're honest, things look rather different. From leadership crises and overt selling out to political ends to decreasing attendance and even more, there are ample reasons to be pessimistic about the future of the church in America. Maybe you share some of that pessimism. And for some, nostalgia only serves as an accelerant for that pessimism. And we can sit around and fuel one another's disenchantment with stories of the imagined glory days. But as we continue in our passage, you'll notice God has a pretty different attitude on the past than that of the former high school standouts gathering at the local bar. But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. I particularly love this verse in the Holman Christian Standard Translation of the Bible because it begins with, even so... Be strong, Zerubbabel. Even so, just sounds more punk rock. I like that. So many of you may already know, my family does a lot of softball. My girls both play softball. In the spring and summer, I spend a significant amount of time coaching softball. We even watch the Women's College World Series. 
So as we were watching a college softball game not long ago, we noticed that the team we were watching, they had a slogan that was written on their foul pool. And the slogan said, two outs, so what? Now, that is to say that when a team already has two outs against them, it could be easy to start to assume that the inning is already over, but that's not the fact. There is still, in fact, more to come. And so for this particular team, the slogan helped serve as a reminder to keep going, even when the situation looked challenging. And I think that's a little how verse 4 drops. It's as if the Lord is saying, yes, things were glorious once, but so what? There's work to do now. Notice that in verses three and four, the Lord isn't dealing in revisionist history. He isn't saying, hey, Israelites, actually the past wasn't all that great, so get over it and let's just move on. No, he refers to former glory. But then he forces the eyes of his people to look away from the past, not because the past was actually bad, but because there is more glory to come. And focusing backward meant they ran the risk of missing it. So let's read through to the end of the passage, beginning in verse five. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty, and in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. See, the Lord has a vision for his people, one he knows will be threatened if they get stuck in unhelpful nostalgia, which is perhaps a funny way to begin a sermon in what we call our anniversary series. I recognize that. But a primary motivator for us to return to this series year after year is to look back in order to move forward to remember together the best of who we've always been as a church so that we can bring the best version of our church into the future. And as a church, one of the things that we've always been and strive to always be is relentlessly relational. Simply put, we believe that in Christ, we are not only saved from sin, but we are saved into the church. The church is unavoidably communal which is both particularly good news in our day and time and particularly challenging news in our day and time. So this is particularly good news because the church's communal nature offers real hope in the face of a public health epidemic that you might not even have heard about. I recently read that the U.S. Surgeon General issued a public health advisory on the epidemic of loneliness and social isolation in America. To summarize, Americans are lonelier and less connected than at any time in the recent past. And while the causes are varied, as I read the report, I couldn't help but think that the response to such a public health crisis is actually right in the church's wheelhouse. So if you're going to read it, here's a spoiler alert. The Surgeon General's report called for increased social connectedness as a primary aspect of the solution for isolation and loneliness. Which brings me to the particularly challenging news for our day and time. If the church is going to be an oasis of connectivity in an isolated age, the way we do relationships matters. Unfortunately, God has not, that was and, fortunately, just in case you were curious. Fortunately, God has not left us 
to fend and guess for ourselves. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's towards the end of your Bible. You may remember that the Apostle Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He spent years following him around. Well, much later in life, he wrote a letter to believers in Jesus who found themselves living in a host culture that was often really inhospitable to their faith. And so in chapter 3, he has some instructions for life together in that faith community. And so as is often our custom, if you are in 1 Peter 3, I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may return to your seats. So let's talk about Christian community in an age of isolation. It is not hard to connect the dots that the Christian church is uniquely positioned to offer something deeply needed in a society that is marked by dramatic loneliness. Many of us spend our days navigating through social spaces where we are just aching to be known authentically, aching to be able to be real to find a place where we don't have to pretend to have it all together, a place that doesn't play by the same rules of stratification and hierarchy that we endure everywhere else in life. Our culture is set up with one velvet rope after another. And more often than not, the price of admission to the world beyond is less authenticity, greater conformity. But this actually isn't all that new. So the first century world of the New Testament, the world that Peter wrote into, it was built around similar stratification, similar hierarchies. Shame and honor were everything. And so climbing up the ladder of honor, the ladder of social esteem, it occupied much of the thinking of people in the Greco-Roman world. So your ethnic background, your social status, your gender, your employment, all of it mattered for where you ranked and what your prospects were for ever ranking any differently. And along comes this Messiah and the community he formed in his wake, claiming that there is a kingdom marked not by stratification, but by invitation. A counterculture in which former enemies now belong to one another as siblings. A family in which even meaningful and enduring distinctives take their place under the unifying banner of Christ. A family so radical that in that world, the apostle Paul could pen these audacious words. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Right? Whether you are walking the ancient streets of Ephesus or the contemporary streets of Santa Barbara, I think this invitation resonates deeply with most of our souls. And yet, real talk for a moment, Peter's calling to his readers in this passage that we just read is fairly lofty. He insists on community that is like-minded 
sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, self-controlled, honest, a people that together pursue peace and righteousness. This is not entry-level relationship stuff. Imagine laying out these ground rules at the beginning of a class group project or your fantasy football league or your bunko group, whatever your thing is. But the fact that what Peter writes here strikes us as a bit of a stretch goal probably reveals how easily we settle for less. I suspect that most of us are quick to sign up for relational, but relentlessly is kind of another story. So when we talk around here about being relentlessly relational, we mean two things. First, we mean everything we do has relationships at the center. This is why you will find small groups at every level of Santa Barbara Community Church, from children's ministry to youth ministry, from alpha to home groups. We are committed to an approach to church life that forces us into places where we can be real and be known and be authentically for one another, even when the masks are off. When a church reaches a certain size, it can be so easy to exist on the periphery, can't it? But the real goods are found in the real life-on-life encounters that transcend even the most robust Sunday meet-and-greet times, which you guys did a great job today, but that's not what we're going for. Those types of encounters where you can be real in one another's life, they most often happen in small groups. And if your discipleship hasn't yet put you into the kind of settings only possible in and through small groups, you are missing out. You're missing out on one of the greatest gifts the Christian community has to offer in an isolated and lonely world. So I'm going to say right now what I said again. Home group signups are up and they are open right now. And if you aren't yet part of one, we don't want you to miss out. The rest of your church family urges you, join a home group. Let's do this together. But the second thing we mean when we say relentlessly relational, and perhaps even more significantly, is that we mean that we are insisting on an approach to church life that is committed to the kind of relationships that Peter describes here. Long-haul experiences of pursuing community that is marked by like-mindedness, sympathy, compassion, humility, self-control, honesty, pursuit of peace and righteousness, and above all, the demonstration of the sacrificial kind of love that we see on display in the person of Jesus. This is a kind of community that doesn't easily give up on one another. It rejects our culture's tendency to ghost, to cancel, to shun at the first sign of troubled waters. It stays curious, it stays humble, and it stays committed to one another's growth and Christ-likeness. In short, this is a community that insists on treating one another as God has already treated us. John Tyson is a pastor in New York City, and he recently said, the church is a community modeling to one another God's commitment to us. The church is a community modeling to one another God's commitment to us. Now, if you've spent even a little time reading the Bible, one of the most obvious things that emerges about God is that he is ridiculously committed to his people. Over and over again, they break his heart. They ignore his law, they violate his character, they reject his prophets, and they shame his reputation. And over and over again, he chooses to pursue them and to bless them, to rescue them and to redeem them, to correct them and to love them. And that should sound like a familiar story for many of us. Because if you are a part of the family of God by faith in Christ, it's because God has shown the same kind of pursuing love to you. He's done this with us despite our own rebellion. 
our own compromise, our own insistence on going our own way. And now our joyful privilege is to show to others the same kind of pursuing love that has so dramatically transformed our lives. Now, to be clear and to be honest, we haven't always done this as well as we could. I know that you might be able to look across the parking lot or the patio this morning and see a painful reminder that sometimes this kind of relentlessness in relationships is really difficult. And it doesn't always go this way. If you haven't experienced SBCC to be as relational as we aspire to be, as inviting as we long to be, I want you to know I'm sorry for that. Also, if you haven't experienced SBCC to be as relentless and committed to you as we aspire to be, I'm sorry for that. And yet, we will continue to aim to be relentlessly relational. Because even a spotty track record doesn't change the call to be a counterculture of relentless relationship. And the fact that we haven't always done it well in the past doesn't mean it can't be done better for the future. And while it may be tempting to point fingers and cast blame for the failures of Christian community, the truth is that each of us who has found Christian community to fall short of this lofty ideal, each of us has a role to play in creating a relentlessly relational kingdom counterculture. I know that when I've been hurt or disappointed, I'm tempted to pull back in self-protection. And that's really easy to justify to myself. But I've also learned painfully that that kind of distance only furthers the problem. And I'm incredibly grateful for those who have modeled relentlessly relational for me, stepped closer when our relationship felt difficult. And I'm slowly learning from their courageous examples that the moment when community gets difficult is the moment we're called to greater intentionality to greater proximity, to greater honesty, to greater vulnerability in our relationships. That is to say that when community gets difficult, our calling is to live like Jesus. Because he put it bluntly in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Almost everyone likes the abstract call at the end of this verse that I just read. By this, Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. But super inconveniently, this isn't an abstract command. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So friends, the pursuing love of God reached its pinnacle in the example of Jesus, the rightful king of creation who did not come to be served, but to serve and to willingly lay down his life for the sake of rebellious people like me and like you. Jesus' self-sacrifice, it defines the lengths to which we are called to be relentless in our relationships. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I don't think it's any coincidence that both our Lord's words here and Peter's instructions in 1 Peter 3 point out that when Jesus' people love one another well, it has an effect on the world around us. Jesus makes our love for one another the most reliable way for the world to assess our claim to belong to him. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And Peter goes on in chapter 3 to say, in verses 15 and 16, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Could it be? that one dramatic antidote to the church's decline is to actually live out the church's calling. 
Could it be that in an age of profound isolation and loneliness, relentlessly relational people have a unique opportunity to tell a story of deeper belonging that would cause the world to take notice? Could it be that those who go through life constantly navigating where they rank and where they fit and fighting tooth and nail to belong might find in the people of God an oasis of radically transformative welcome that insists that Jesus' work is enough for all of our belonging? Could it be that a people who persist in sacrificial love through the inevitable relational challenges have a chance to bear compelling witness in a world of ever-shrinking social circles? Could it be that one way in which the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house is through the seemingly mundane act of refusing to give up on one another? Yes, friends, it is true that by a variety of measures, the American church is in a tough spot. But could it be that the thing that our culture most needs is for the church to be the counterculture it has always been called to be? I'm excited to find out alongside of you as we persist in being relentlessly relational together since 1979 here in 2023 and for all the years God grants us together for his greater glory in this place, in this community, and in this world. Our worship team is going to make its way back up, but before we continue in singing, I want you to know we're going to have a few prayer teams available in the entryway because I know that talking about being a relentlessly relational family has potential to stir up some pain. Perhaps the kind of relational welcome we've considered hasn't been your experience of church life. Or you've been reminded today of ways that your spiritual family hasn't relentlessly stuck beside you. Come bring that lament to a prayer team. Or perhaps the Spirit has stirred your heart today to take the first terrifying steps toward relational reconciliation. Come let a prayer team pray for your courage and for your wisdom. Perhaps today has uncovered some of your own pessimism that is held you back from loving others with Christ-like sacrificial devotion. Come allow brothers and sisters to speak to your heart. Or perhaps the isolation that we spoke of at the beginning was not a mere statistic, but the story of your life. Come get a taste of family. Let our prayer teams bear that burden with you. Or maybe you've got another reason for praise or another cause for prayer, but I want to invite you to come visit our prayer teams. They'll be in the entryway, ready to pray with you about these things, or anything at all. But fam, let's rise to our feet as we respond in song to the self-giving and ever-pursuing God of relentless love.